What I love is the strategy. I really love working with disruptive entrepreneurs that are bringing something new to market or very forward-thinking companies that have some sort of technology or innovation they're bringing to the marketplace. And in a lot of cases, there's not an existing market, right? So they need to create a market. You're listening to the Let's Talk Marketing Podcast hosted by me, Katya Allison. Now you're probably wondering what you've gotten yourself into. Let me give it to you straight. In short, it's going to be a good time. There's going to be great conversation and there's going to be a little bit of learning along the way. Through insightful interviews with top marketers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders, I get to explore the latest trends, techniques, and strategies in the world of marketing. I'm here to offer you engaging and informative discussions to help you stay up to date on the latest trends and take your marketing skills to the next level. Now, in this episode, we are chatting with Marianne Long about buyer personas and aligning campaigns and content to those personas. Marianne inspires, motivates, and educates businesses in the art and the science of aligning brands with customers and drives business results by blending strategy, creative technology, and analysis. Now, over the last two decades, she's helped entrepreneurs, business executives, and large and small teams leverage advanced marketing strategies to reach aggressive growth objectives. With an infinite curiosity of human nature, buying behavior, and game-changing innovations. Let's get to it. Let's talk marketing with Marianne. Marianne, welcome to the Let's Talk Marketing podcast. Really excited to have you on here. We're going to dive into some campaigns and buyer personas. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for asking me. All right, let's put the pedal to the metal because as everyone knows, I'm a bit of a chatty Kathy, but I want everyone to get to know you a little bit. So I've got some, I'm not going to call them rapid fire questions, but very get to know you questions. So right out the gate, I would love to know what was your first marketing role that you would ever have considered as marketing? Yeah, so let's go back. A few decades. <laughs> so that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it's actually interesting. I am always amazed at where I started, but I worked with a technology bar, value added reseller, and they were into the entertainment field, working with Panasonic and Sony and delivering custom made 3D and motion graphic systems. I was also using the medical industry. But shortly after I joined, they took on Silicon Graphics. And I don't know if much about them, SGI. So they were very heavy into 3D motion graphics and various sorts of systems that videographers or designers would use. They got into a partnership with HP and started delivering some of the first personal computers. So I was like, kind of struck. I was like, this tech world is interesting. And then they came out with the first desktop servers and website development systems. And this was when no one even knew what the internet was. And so my first project was to develop workshops and invite executives from the top companies in Chicago to come to these workshops and learn about the internet. What is it? What is it going to do for your company? What's the future of the internet? And it blew my mind, the possibilities. And some companies 
were early adopters. They jumped right in and others were laggards. You know, they're just, nah, this is not going to go anywhere. (laughs) We're not going to invest in that internet thing. I got the bug early on. I left that job and actually started my own freelance web design company. And so I built first generation websites for companies in the Milwaukee and Chicago area. So, you know, early history in uh, the internet helping companies to get value out of it. When I started my company, a lot of developers, techie folks were building websites and they were replicating brochures. And what I did was I'm like, there's an opportunity here for marketing and sales to really use the internet. So I was one of the early embracers of that strategy and that concept. I got involved in SEO early. And that just opened doors for me. I got really interested in strategy and helping companies to see value in their marketing and sales investments. And many years later, I'm still doing that on a different scale, but it's been quite a ride. I love that. I also love the fact that you started with workshops introducing the internet, which sounds bonkers, right? Like, I think I definitely live in a world where I Google everything. I've got a question, I Google it. It's insane to think that we lived in a time where we didn't have access to information in our fingertips. But what I think is also so interesting, starting off from like a workshop perspective is it's a little bit of finding ambassadors and key opinion leaders to really embrace something and you leverage them from a brand awareness perspective. So I can easily see how you would have gotten the bug from that. Now that's what you did. What do you do currently? Currently, I'm the leader of a small agency and we're focused on growth marketing and revenue operations. So we work in the tech space. I am currently helping several clients with their go-to-market plans, either launching new products, helping them to assess Where are the best opportunities for their company and new spaces, whether that be vertical industries or developing disruptive products that require demand generation? So in between my current and that first job, I got really deep into demand generation and lead generation and really love the creative aspects of marketing. But I delve right deep into the science of marketing and understanding data and developing data-driven programs for companies and really trying to understand what is driving success or what are the obstacles and why are we facing these obstacles? How do we overcome them? Yeah. And I'm a data junkie as well too. How do you know what to do unless you're tracking it? And I think I'm of the mindset of qualitative and quantitative. There's a balance between both of them and both of them are your compass from a marketing strategy perspective to help you understand like which direction are we going? Is this the right direction? Because I think it's also about testing things out. I think that you mentioned like the science of it as well too. Like to me, marketing is just this big science experiment. We're always trying things. We need to track things. We have a hypothesis and sometimes we're wrong, but sometimes we're right. And you really have to understand like all of the tools out there that you have available to leverage from a strategic standpoint. Now, based on what you currently do or where you're currently at, what do you love about what you do? You mentioned what you like, but what do you love about what you do? And then conversely, what if I could pluck anything out of your job, what would you pluck out of it? So what I love is the strategy. 
I really love working with disruptive entrepreneurs that are bringing something new to market or very forward-thinking companies that have some sort of technology or innovation that they're bringing to the marketplace. And in a lot of cases, there's not an existing market, right? So they need to create a market and they need to really delve into understanding their target audiences. And that's where the science comes in very often because some of the stats that I've heard is one to 3% of companies are ready to buy when a salesperson reaches out to them. But the majority, 99% of companies don't necessarily know or can define a problem that they have very well and what the solutions are out there for them. So a company that is developing marketing and sales messaging and content really needs to understand, you know, put that prospective customer's hat on and really understand the information that they need at each stage of the buyer journey. So as they progress through, that the prospects progress through, first they may be going to their favorite place to grab information or be entertained, be it social, on LinkedIn, or we all have our favorite social media places that we go as professionals, right? To check out what the trends are, understand what other people are doing, understand what the competition is doing. So as our prospective customers are doing that, we need to position ourselves as marketers and on behalf you know, of my clients to really think about what is going to grab the attention of these prospects, right? And help them start thinking about their own situation and then slowly start educating them and grab their attention such that they're willing to click through, right? Go find out more information. And my clients, my goal for them is for them to be the thought leaders so that companies that have a problem are finding them in the places where these prospects are going for information. So as they are on this, you know, this buyer journey, hopefully my clients have developed an experience for prospects that are ideal for them. And this experience is, okay, so, all right, I see that other companies are, you know, doing X to solve a problem. We have a similar problem. So let me go read some case studies. Let me watch some videos to understand what this problem is and if the solution is going to help me and my company as the prospect thinking you know is thinking then ultimately what we want to do for our clients my clients is to think about okay so here's the solution let's position it so that they can quickly understand that there is either a process or a product that they can implement and if they're the champion of that procurement of that solution we need to help them to succeed, right? And so very often in the space of B2B where I live, there are buying committees. There are groups of people that you can categorize. You can typically find out who is that champion, who is the detractor, who is the opposite of the champion, who are people within the organization that you're selling to that are trying to maybe move the champion away or displace the champion, who are the economic buyers. So who are the influencers within the organization on these complex sales, which very often, you know, B2B is, as they can span one month to a year until a company is ready to make a purchase. So in this B2B space, I really love the whole idea of mapping this out, doing workshops and, you know, plotting out the, the ideal experience. That is one of my absolute favorite things to do to help companies to really think strategically and to do things with intention.
So very often on the flip side, if I could pluck something out, and I love that, by the way, it would be to to somehow remove the projects in my life that don't have strategy. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, that's a very honest answer. Like, even just hearing you talk about what you love, the strategy part of it, there is such a level of creativity that's involved in strategy that I think a lot of people that aren't in the marketing seat or wear that marketing hat aren't aware of. And it sounds like, I mean, it was very clear to see, like I can see this in your face for anybody that's listening, just only listening. There is this, there is a bit of joy that comes across. Like it's, you're solving something and you're using data and understanding of the product and the business and the client and their buyers and the buyer committees, like that's taking it all into play. So I could see why you would want anything that doesn't include that. I don't know, hard pass or maybe soft pass. I don't know. And I think that's fantastic. I think most marketers say like it's the admin stuff of it, but it sounds like you really hone in on the creative part. And if it's not creative, wouldn't that be nice if we could just be super strategic and then also have all of the data points that go along with that? Now, how do you stay up to date with trends and like anything outside of social media meaning, right? So do you listen to podcasts, newsletters? Are there books? Like, how are you keeping up with all of the marketing trends that happen? Yeah. And there are so many, it's hard to keep up. (laughs) It is so hard. That's why I love this question. I learn a ton. I... Um, very hungry for trends and information about marketing and where it's going. I really enjoy podcasts, but I do love also to follow certain people, thought leaders, people that are into customer experience design. One of my former bosses, I follow her and eat up everything that she produces. Several past colleagues that are marketing whizzes that just seem to always be on the front end of testing. You mentioned testing earlier. Our firm, Cultivate Communications, focuses on growth marketing. And what we are trying to do is educate clients to go through the process of identifying a hypothesis, which you mentioned earlier. Not that common for companies to think that way. To say, all right, so if we go into this market with our new product and we position it such that it's a not lower price, it's a new innovation, so it's going to be a little bit more expensive, but it's really something that is going to solve X, Y, and Z problems, right? Let's see what resonates. What is the information that individuals are engaging with through our campaigns, through our website? So all of that sort of thing is I love to look at case studies and understand, especially from marketing automation companies, they're always at the forefront of testing and looking at trends. One of my favorite websites for years and years has been HubSpot. They're always just right on with understanding what's next and how to allocate your budget towards certain things that are really going to make a difference and move the needle forward. Yeah, I think HubSpot has an army behind them of just people who are just scouring for information and then being able to translate it out in digestible chunks in a meaningful way. They just have content marketing locked in. What a great call out for HubSpot specifically. Now, 
from a social media perspective, do you lean on any social media networks for inspiration, education, or entertainment? And if so, which ones? Yeah, I would have to say being in the B2B world that LinkedIn is definitely top of my list. Always got it open, always watching for various uh, newsletters that I subscribe to or new connections or reach out to people and engage with them. So part of my role is to drive business for our agency, build partnerships. So I think LinkedIn is an awesome place to do that. I couldn't imagine my job without having LinkedIn. Same. And I've always been, I feel like very early on was on LinkedIn and it's such a great resource and great for networking, making connections. I always take the yes if someone messages me. Like, There's nothing like being able to connect with like-minded people and learning and growing from one another, which is fantastic, which I think is also a good segue for what we really want to dive into today as we talk about marketing, we talk about marketing strategy. What we really wanted to focus our conversation around was really kind of aligning your campaigns with content and buyer personas. And as we dive into it, I want to unpack even that entire sentence because there's one thing that's campaigns, there's another thing that's content, and there's another thing that's buyer personas. If I'm looking at all three of these, which one do you think goes first in your opinion? So I would even step back further. What I do is I help companies to get marketing sales and customer experience or support in one room. And we map out how prospects find them, right? What is the information that their ideal prospects are looking for right out of the gate when they're in the awareness stage, let's say, of the buyer journey? And then as they start understanding who the players are, then it's typically marketing, you know, that can kind of answer the questions as to what's happening early in that process. And then sales is typically involved once there's a hand raiser, right? So what sort of content is working? What sort of messaging is working to keep the prospect engaged, right? Map that out. Talk about what's happening, what I call the front office and the back office. So the front office are the folks in an organization that are face-to-face and interacting with prospects and customers. The back office is the marketing automation and the marketing and such that are being designed. So what's happening simultaneously and what can and be improved so that marketing and sales are aligned and working towards getting the right prospects within the, the sales funnel. And so then as they're moving deeper into the sales process, maybe the prospects request a proposal or a quote. As they are moving through that buyer journey, then it's critical to really understand what is the information that's going to move them to the win column, right? So think about at that point, you have this mapped out. What's going to happen is you're going to have conversations about what are the titles of the people that are entering into the sales cycle. The way that I look at it is the sales cycle and the buyer journey are two sides of one coin. So the sales process or the sales funnel is basically an inside out view of what's happening, right? With your prospects and your customers. And the buyer journey is putting that customer centric hat on and looking at it from the outside in. What is the experience that is going to help a prospect move through the journey fast or faster to increase that velocity? What's the right cadence of communication? What are the right topics along the line? 
So once you kind of step back and have that big conversation, then you can start delving into personas because you'll start to really understand who are the players in various types of deals. And if you look at your ideal client, there's probably those roles that I mentioned earlier. There's going to be a champion. They need certain content, right? You probably want to support them 100% by even helping them to develop a business case and make them look really good within the organization that they're trying to sell your product to their peers and within their organization. And then you have the individuals that are influencers or the economic buyer. Each of those different personas needs different types of information. So when you start thinking about the economic buyer wants to know what's the ROI, how quickly are we going to see value out of that we're talking about purchasing here. The influencers might be in a situation where they may even be the users of that product eventually, right? So they're going to have an opinion on what they think, they the types of features that, that they want and the problems that they're trying to solve. It's not that, in my opinion, that persona or content or buyer journey happen in an order that's almost simultaneously you step back, look at everything, and then you go into each of the different specialty areas and map it out. I definitely agree with that. What I heard you say is first things first, get everybody in the room. You've got the people who are not boots on the ground sitting in fr- on the front lines, right? With ultimately who you're trying to connect with, but this gives you a really well-rounded view of almost the sentiment and the awareness of your brand or your product. And then that next step is really building out these buyer personas. And I like the way that you're talking about buyer personas, because it's not one persona and it's not marketing Molly. Like we've all seen those marketing Molly is like 45 and all of or however old she is, but like breaking that down. What I hear you really honing in on is that buying committee that you had brought up earlier as well too. And I think sometimes that's a real miss when we talk about buyer personas is that, yeah, there's someone that's going to use your product, but especially like B2B, it is a buying committee. You need to know who the gatekeepers are, who the end users are. They have very different pain points and really understanding those I think is really key. Do you have, I don't know, some tips for understanding or getting down the right buyer committee that you really want to focus your kind of content on and figuring out where you fill in that content in the buyer's journey. Yeah. So when a prospect is like in the middle of their buying process, when they're considering different solutions or products, at that point, they're starting to self-report who they are, right? They might be filling out forms. They might be reaching out via chat on a website and asking kind of very specific questions. If you look at all of the different channels that one person is using to engage with your company, then you can get the full picture of where they are in the buying process, right? So if they are attending webcasts, if they are visiting your trade show booth, you can create a buyer profile. And of course, within marketing automation, it gives you the tools to see all the different channels that a particular prospect at a company has used to engage with your company. Now, some of this might be in the CRM, some of this might be in the marketing automation tool, some of it might be in the customer service tool. Integration is key in ensuring 
that you have a single view of that customer. And that term, single view of customer, been around for 25 years, but hardly any, really, unless they're super large enterprises, has ever gotten to the point of doing that. It's starting to trickle down to large and medium-sized companies now. And even forward-thinking small businesses could get to that point if they make the investment in the integration and the marketing and sales technology. Number one tip is, yeah, have a single view of your customer. Reverse IP is another great tool to add to the mix where you can see which companies are heading your website and what they're specifically looking at. At Building out and being very rigid or having a lot of rigor, I should say, and developing your prospect database and really understanding who's in that prospect database and consistently adding to it to make sure that the companies you really want to do business with are represented and not just a single person, but start to populate all of those different types of people that are on the buying committee by account. So we're basically talking about account-based marketing at this point. Yeah, I love account-based marketing, but I think there's so many things that you have to have lined up really well in the back end that in order to make ABM an effective tool from a marketing perspective, and that's just my opinion on it. But what I also really appreciate about what you're saying is the marketing operations element of marketing that is often really missed. I think of this as like the foundation. If you were building a house, this to me is a foundation, right? If you have a rocky foundation, like your house is going to be on a tilt, but it's going to lean one way and everything's going to fall off, right? Like it just, you have to be able to have all of the right tools and then have it be automatically connected, looking at the integration. Because I think that speaks to what you initially had started to talk about at the beginning, which was the thing that you really like is the data part of it, right? If you don't have sound data, then how can you even know any of this information and get to the single view of your customer, really understanding what they are engaging with? Because I think that, and I do believe that oftentimes that is something that is missed. There is this big focus, like I said, on like the marketing Molly, right? Let's get her persona and then we'll build everything around her versus what are our customers actually doing? Are they going on social media? If they are, what social media channel are they engaging with and how are they engaging? There's so much information to really dig into to get to the buyer personas, the buyer committees as well too. I'm really interested in your thoughts on the right content then for these buying committees. Is that data that we're pulling also going to tell us or how can that data that we're looking at us looking at inform the type of content that is going to resonate with our particular audience? Do you view that as just a lot of kind of experimentation until you get that data points to be able to make that decision of like, oh, we need white papers. Cause that's always a thing too. I find that people either think they need white papers or they need a podcast or they need 12,000 flyers for something, right? Like I'm really about like the data telling me how much I need to produce. Cause it's not easy to produce things. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you leverage data or what data points you should look for to help inform the type of content that's going to resonate with your buying committee. Sure. Definitely have an opinion on that. <laughs> so, <laughs> as I thought you would. <laughs> yeah. So it's really dependent on the marketplace that you're going into, right? So 
the way that I would advise a client is, are you trying to displace a competitor? Do you have a better product than a competitor and you're launching something new into a market where you're known? That's a different scenario from going into a brand new vertical that you think, you know, has great opportunity. So for example, one of my clients is going into the medical device vertical. They sell technology that is going to be relevant to medical device manufacturers. This is brand new. They are venturing into territory where they need to do a lot of research into the, the product demand for this within that vertical. So you got to step back, way back to the point of research first, right? And it's typically first-party research. You probably have to do interviews and surveys and really understand firsthand what are the needs of that marketplace. If you don't, if you don't know, but you have developed a product and you feel or have researched initially to find out whether there's opportunity there. Let's say you have a first handful of clients. And you're feeling very optimistic that you can deepen that vertical that you're venturing into. So unfortunately, my response is, it depends. <laughs> I feel like that's a common marketing yeah. response, though, because it is true. I find that I say that all the time, too. When you get like one-off questions, I'm like, I need a little bit more information to even completely articulate that. But I appreciate the fact that you say that it depends because it truly does. There are a lot of elements that you need to be able to take a look at to help inform like content. And sometimes you're just going to have to be able to experiment with it if you don't have that data. And I think it's because I also come from like the startup world and the startup mentality where I'm like, oh, I have to grow this out. So I don't have this all figured out yet, which I think that there are a lot of marketers depending on like where they are in not the maturity of them as marketers, but the maturity of the company that they're working with or the brand that they're working with, how much has to be done on like that end to really hone in and identify that content. The product development piece. Yeah. But I will say when it comes down to really figuring out what content is going to resonate, I think the biggest thing is the two things, differentiation, right? How are you truly going to differentiate yourself? So, so I take my clients through an exercise called a lean canvas, which is designed for launching a new product. So it starts with who is that target audience? What is their problem? What are they trying to solve for? What do you deliver? What is your product or service that solves that problem? And your answer should be very succinct. The problem is there for, I'm thinking of one particular client of mine, their operations, especially on their plant floor, are high risk. They've had a lot of injuries occur on their plant floor. So my client develops robotics and automation tools to help to remove the need for individuals to do high risk jobs, right? That's the problem. That's my client's solution. How are they different? They are incredible when it comes to analyzing the need and prescribing the solution. They don't give up until they have looked at every angle. A lot of their competitors, if that's a complex project, you're not going to take that one on. My client dives in head first, right? Perfect example of audience, problem, solution, differentiation. But then how are you going to bring that to market, right? How are you get the point across that you're different? 
the solution in so many cases is thinking outside the box. And I hate to just use that, but it, it's so true. We all love videos that kind of stand out and use humor, right? Not that everybody can do it. Not every company is successful at attempting that. But those that can actually create a video that makes a big point that really resonates, even on a human level, to say that, hey, I know our solution is superior to talk about yourself, blah, 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 and all your features and functionalities, anybody can do that. But to really differentiate yourself in your messaging is what really helps a company stand out. So I lean on differentiation and ROI because everybody wants to know what the ROI is, whether they're the economic player on the committee or not. And, you know, it's gotten to the point where individuals, even in procurement, are like, okay, what's the ROI on this? Because you need to deliver that information or you're not going to pass go. Whatever the case is, differentiation and ROI message, those two things have to be first and forefront in content. I couldn't agree more. I could talk to you for days about this. I've already taken up so much of your time. I've got one final question to to close out our conversation. And it's the, if you knew then what you know now, what is the marketing advice that you give to yourself? That's, I mean, I've learned so much over the years and I've seen so much now with AI coming out, right? And impacting it. It's going to be similar. I've seen two revolutions, the internet revolution, and now I'm watching the AI revolution take place. The advice that I would give myself is specialize because when I was younger in the internet, oh yeah, I was like, I was hungry for information from everywhere. And now it's all overwhelming. It's okay. So I think I would say I did specialize in strategy, but it's so mind boggling to think of all of the marketing opportunities that are out there. The advice I would give myself is to be very scientific and follow that niche even more so than I did. That's great advice. Thank you so much. I've appreciated having you on here, having you drop your knowledge bombs on us. This was absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. All right. Let's jump into this episode's key takeaways. Very interesting talk about buyer personas, campaigns, content, kind of making them all connect together. So my first key takeaway is number one, aligning campaigns and content to a buyer persona really enhances marketing results. Now the initial step in the process is aligning the teams from marketing, sales, and customer support to really map out the journey of potential customers. Now something that Marianne pointed out was that she likes to get all three departments in one room to better understand various touch points and interactions along the customer journey. This is so you know where they're at and what they want to get when you're there with them along the customer journey, right? So, you know, at what milestones or touch points do you need to interact with them and what do they need? Now, from a marketing perspective, that's the dream that you can get everyone together and get them to be aligned. But this may not always be the easiest thing to do. So if you can't get the entire group, identify a key person for each group so you better understand the why. If you can't do that, listen to sales call recordings or better yet, ask to be invited to a few of them. Just kind of be a fly on the wall. Do the same with support. 
Now, if you want a list of questions to find me answers for those calls, send me a LinkedIn message and I'll shoot you over just some quick questions that you can answer yourself as you are kind of being the fly on the wall and listening to what customers are asking and what they need. Now, I've been there. You can't get the trifecta of the trifecta team of sales, marketing, and support together because most of the time when you go to work, the train has already left the station. Am I right? And you're really just trying to catch up. But there is a way you can map out the journey if you can't book all of those meetings. Number two, you are selling to a buying committee, not just the end user. Now, I don't think that we talk about buying committees enough personally, and this is probably more from a B2B perspective versus obviously a B2C or D2C. Oftentimes, we just kind of market to end users' pain points, which is great, right? It shows that we get them. We have the solution for them, and all they have to do is sign. But the truth of the matter is that the end user may not always hold the budget to say yes, no matter how much they want it. Now, purchases in B2B have to go through a buying committee, a group of people who make the decision. The larger the price tag, the more people are on the committee, typically. Now, this is not a one size fits all, so take it with a grain of salt. This has been a lot of my experience. So be sure you know all the players you're selling to and understand their concerns. Think of the end user as your champion, And you have to make sure that your champion is armed with all of the right weapons and ammo to take to their buying committee. So everybody on the team says yes. And my last key takeaway, a return on their investment. As marketers, we're always chasing ROI, but in the context we discussed is more about the ROI of the customer. What do they get out of the purchase? How are you selling them something different from the next guy? We think that we think about this with everything we do, but in actuality, it's not always at the forefront. Are they the buyer going to get a return on their investment? Does your product make their life easier? Give them back time, save them money. That's a great starting point from a content perspective as well. So return on their investment, not your investment. Now, what were your key takeaways from today's episode? A special thank you to my podcast producers, the amazing team at Content Allies. Let me know if you want more information on them. And thank you so much for spending your time with me today. Until next time, may the conversation flow, the laughter linger, and the outlook remain optimistic, but grounded in reality. This is Katya signing off. 